0: Hi everyone, Uh, I'm senior journalist Claire Burnett uh, with Brews News and this is the Beer It's a Conversation podcast. Uh, Today I have with me Brad Bowne, co-owner of Left Barrel Brewing in Balhanna with wife Nada. They opened a microbrewery and tap house in the Adelaide Hills in 2018, specialising in farmhouse style barrel aged sours. And last month won the most outstanding beer and show trophy at the 2022 Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards, which is an amazing achievement for any brewery. Hey Brad, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Hey Claire, thanks thanks for having me. Uh,
0: yeah, no, it's an honour. We kind of got in touch a couple of weeks ago because we wanted to chat in the aftermath of your major win. Um, so tell me a little bit about it. How did you feel, and uh, how long did it take to recover?
1: Ah, uh, look, it was uh, it was a, a massive surprise. We threw a few few beers into the awards uh, just to see how how I guess the uh, judges' feedback would. Would go for those particular beers. Um, they're all pretty solid beers that we're that I'm generally pretty happy with. Um, and some of those are, are sort of minor, minor tweaked homebrew winning versions from from, from many moons ago. So um, yeah, no, look, it was, a, it was it was a great night. Um, yeah, honoured to win best lager, but then but then for that for the dunkel to then go on and win best of show was uh, yeah a massive surprise. So um, yeah, yeah,
0: yep. Also, bonus points from me for calling it Bob's your uncle. That was just ah perfection. A
1: legitimate name too. Legitimate name. My my mum's brother is Robert, so I do have an uncle Bob. Uh, so, so there's uh <laughs> yep, no, all all Accuracy
0: legit. there as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah, and obviously major win. Congrats and every everything, of course. Um. But I believe it took you a little while to recover. We, yeah, it, it yeah. Not to like, be. <laughs> I,
1: my, when we spoke, well, a few days after after the the beer and barbecue weekend, I'd uh, I'd managed to pick up COVID uh, along with a few of my helpers who helped me pour beers over the weekend. So it was, um, yeah. Doctor Nicola was right; it was a super spreader event, I guess. And uh, <laughs> a lot of us have been hibernating uh, and not going out much. And the first time you go out to a big event, and um, yeah. but that was a great yeah, it was definitely. a great event. Beer and barbecue, it always is. Um, yeah, had plenty of people packed in at the moshing in front of the bands and obviously, you know, raspy voice were also talking over the, the, the nice loud music, um, <laughs> serving hundreds of beers to hundreds of punters. So um, that probably started it, the raspy voice. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, the spicy cough kicked in.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you back on your feet. And as we say, great win, really fantastic news for Left Barrel. And I'm always interested to sort of see – obviously like how awesome it was and it must've felt amazing, but also why, what's the purpose of awards to you? Why do you enter awards? Um, cause I know there's actually quite a, or a number of people in the industry, notably that don't get involved in them at all. Uh, so why, why awards? Why, why were they helpful for you?
1: Uh, I guess the, the beers that we entered this year were more traditionally aligned to those fixed style guidelines. And a lot of left barrel brews don't hit those guidelines, or they're really pushing the boundaries of sours and and funky beers. So, the the four beers we entered this year actually all all scored um, medals at some degree. I think we got we got a gold for the dunkel and um, three bronzes. So that was really good. So I guess it's um on one yeah, in, in some respects it's around um getting that you know, critique and confirmation that we're we're uh, around the right around the right mark in terms of those particular styles historically i've certainly entered some of my sours and beers that are really pushing the boundaries in and um they don't necessarily align to any category except the specialty category and often they'll they'll go okay but um they they won't sort of uh, score highly because i think it's um yeah some of those crazy beers we do just tend to push the boundaries maybe a bit too far Mm um i guess you've got a lot of breweries out there that, that are doing similar things um from a from a very small brewery's perspective, you've got a, a reasonably high entry cost because you, you, essentially you're donating a carton of that beer and yeah. you're then paying a, a, a reasonable fee. So the, the the big players in the market, that gets just drawn out of part of their marketing budget. But um, when you're punching out a fairly small volume like we do, uh, we, we're, we're well under 10,000 litres a year when when you know, the likes of, uh, of your pirate lives and... Um, Big sheds, little bangs of, uh, of essentially mm-hmm. almost got that much beer in one tank <laughs> that they'll fill multiple times <laughs> a month. Um, we'd be lucky to f- do that that kind of volume in a in a 12 month period. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I mean, that's again, that's exactly you hit the nail on the head. Exactly why it's so fascinating and awesome that Left Barrel did so well. Um, you know, up against these quite. Uh, I don't want to say rich, but I guess they are, um, in comparison, uh, in terms of resources and in terms of capital to be able to throw at it. Um, so it's always nice to see, uh, a smaller brewery doing really well. Um, and it was really interesting that, um, obviously, it was um, the Dunkel, the Lager. Uh, traditionally, that sort of space has been, number one, pretty, more, maybe potentially more difficult to brew to perfection. Uh, it takes a bit longer sometimes, a um, bit less to hide behind uh, than a, a hazy, smoothie, fruity bomb type thing. Um, and also very much historically been the province of the major brewers, uh, that, that sort of Lager uh, area. think that is really interesting and it brings up a couple of things. Um so I mean why do you think lagers are such a hit at the moment? Everyone seems to be doing a lager. Um everybody seems to be doing really well with that lager. Uh Sabrina Coombs, our general manager, uh she predicts in her crystal ball that like European style beers in general are gonna be like the next big thing. Uh what do you think?
1: I guess the yeah those European style lagers, um yeah yeah yeah, yeah I guess there's a heavy German influence there and, and, you know, you check pills and, and so forth. Um, they're, 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 they're clean. They're, they're easy drinking and they've been brewed for hundreds and thousands of years in some, in, in some instances. So, um, they must be doing something right for all of us to, to, to take, to take out a uh, tweak on those and, uh, and bring them into the marketplace. So I guess there's, there's that respect that they're, they're solid base recipes and styles that, that have stood the test of time. Um I guess in terms of the evolution there's um there's some breweries like Brightside who also won with their uh Alt Beer or Schwartz Beer, I think, um, at the same awards with a with the gold. Um, so you've got a sort of a darker, a darker balanced uh, black lager there as well. So you know some there's some great lager brewers out there. Um yeah, why are we leaning towards those? I think I guess there was a lot of beers entered into that in that particular comp across the range of a range of styles. So um, we're talking about the, the the dunkle a bit more right now because because we snuck a win with it, which is great. Um, and but yeah, I mean well, there was 350 entries across a number of styles there. So um, so everyone's still brewing their hazies, um, uh, English bitters right through to your, your imperial stouts and, and crazy fruit fruited sours and things like that. So. I think I guess the trend potentially with existing craft beer fans could be um, that maybe they're maybe that are they a bit sick of the things that are all over the top and maybe they're looking for maybe the evolution of beer and, and, and moving towards you know have a have a couple of crazy IPAs or fruited sours but then maybe start to lean back towards those traditional styles where where it's just a nice easy drinking. Yeah, sessionable lager so yeah
0: and I, I have heard lots of people say you know things like oh well as we get bigger as an industry inevitably we're gonna have to move away from maybe the niche styles maybe the sort of more challenging styles because the mass market that's not what they're into um, what say you what is that a fair assumption
1: I guess it depends brewery to brewery. brewery um... And whether you're a wholesale base like we are um, now or if you've got a tap room, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, from a, from a tap room perspective, when we did have our tap room, um, yeah, you know, our English bitter, our lager and our, our simple ales are probably the biggest movers. But I still wanted to have all of those crazy and different beers up there on the on the taps. Slightly different beast from a wholesale perspective because you've you got to be brewing something that's fairly safe that you can move. Otherwise, you're left with a whole heap of stock sitting there you've got to do something with.
0: And you mentioned your chat room. Now tell me a little bit what happened with your tap room.
1: Yeah, look, uh, we started, we had a three-year, a a three-plus, three-plus, three-lease. And towards uh, partway through year two of that three-year lease, uh, uh, COVID came through and basically through the hills just, you know, um, just killed the traffic in terms of people coming through, through our venue. Um, yeah, we had lockdowns. We got out of it pretty easy as a state. Obviously, Eastern State took a lot more of that brunt uh, from certainly Melbourne and Sydney's perspective. Um, in some ways, it seems like a lifetime ago, and sometimes it seems like yesterday. So uh, we we couldn't justify with the amount of rent we were paying our expenses and so forth, and seeing you know the the retail sales just diminished down to a trickle. So we used that opportunity to pivot the business. We We didn't extend our lease. We moved our tanks to another brewery. So they're now sitting at uh, Barossa Valley Brewing. I know the brewer's there pretty well. And that's actually where we brewed the the Dunkel and some of those bigger batches. So a fair bit of credit goes to those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so I've still got, I still had uh, excise and and a liquor license covered in my shed at home, which is where we started. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, we still do punch small batches occasionally out in the shed out the back here at home. Um, and yeah, we're just doing wholesale and sort of a few festivals here and there. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was, I'm still full-time engineering. So this is still just that side hobby project, just a, just a home brewer that, uh, where things got out of hand a little bit and <laughs> decided <laughs> to start a pro hand. brewery.
0: <laughs> and now, would you ever go back to that taproom model having sort of experienced the, uh, strife that it can cause and also the... <laughs> insane external events that can impact it without you having anything to do with that. Um, Not like you could tell that COVID was coming. Um, Would you ever go back down that route?
1: Oh, potentially. I think I was, I guess we're all, anyone that starts a brewery uh, and starts a taproom is probably pretty naive in many respects. So um, I've certainly learned a lot in that time. And if we were to do something again, it'd be with other partners involved. So, um, you know, Left Barrel started just, just myself and my wife, um, but she basically lets me me run the show. It was sort of just set up as a as a pretty simple company structure then. But I think yeah, moving forward, if, if Left Barrel ventured out into that space, it'd be with um, with other investors and other people that can bring different skill sets, you know, sort of um, marketing, uh, wholesale, you know, um, rep to to move that from a marketing perspective um you probably look at a venue manager and things like that so yeah
0: were these all your roles for the past like three years are you just listing them
1: oh look it's for the past what five six years since we started really um yeah. i had uh had we had one casual staffer uh, uh, james for it, uh and ed ed before that to to help out when we had the tap room open just to Give myself a little bit of breathing space, um, but at the time you're burning the candle at both ends. But you, you don't sort of realise that. You just throw yourself into it and you keep doing what's needs to be done. But I think any any small business owner, brew is no exception. You're doing everything from yeah, from marketing, planning, brewing, um, logistics, stock, um, yeah, and then then you've got a you've got a you've usually got a family at home and a mortgage to pay and that sort of stuff too. So um, <laughs> it, it, it can be brutal in that regard.
0: Yeah. Just you describing it as making me exhausted, if I'm brutally honest. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I mean, I think that's something that people don't realize. And it's a really interesting point that you make that um, people don't know uh, or they think, you know, they think it might even be like an easy ride when it clearly is not. Um, So what would you advise a brewer who was like where you were five years ago? Would you say don't do it? Would you say do it differently? What advice would you give them effectively?
1: I guess... The initial response is no, don't do it, and uh, <laughs> and stick with your day job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you are going to do it, you need cash. You need you probably need investors. I'd probably recommend partners um, to help spread that load. Um, are you going to be quitting your day job, uh, etc. I, I think it's I think it's smart to have a to have that tap room in that venue because you've got that then you've got that full retail in terms of getting that money, you know. or one, you're getting that um, first-hand talking to the punters um, and, and have that great enjoyment of seeing people enjoy your beer first-hand right there at your venue because obviously wholesale, your margins are a lot less. Yeah, there's there's a few factors there, but I guess you've got to look at your location, how many other breweries are in that area, um, yeah, where's your niche, uh, what kind of... What kind of a space you're looking to 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 build how big are, how big are you looking to go I, I certainly think there's still space in the market for that small family run venue where you've got where you've got that tap room and you can actually dedicate yourself fully maybe with your with your with your other half and maybe a, a staff or two and start small and see where things go from there so
0: yeah. Yeah, because I mean, and that feeds really nicely into sort of what people have been talking about in terms of the growth of the industry. Where is that growth going to be coming from? How are we going to manage that growth when it's so difficult to uh, get at tap points, to get into bottle shops? Um, and then the margins when you are there, well, as you as you say, Brad, uh, aren't fantastic, or especially if you're going to compare them to a tap room at the very least. Um, so what do you think in terms of like where how com- how competitive are we at the minute, and where are we going to be able to grow? Is it that local brew pub, and uh, you know how how can we keep sustaining this kind of growth effectively?
1: Yeah, we can't keep. We certainly things can't keep growing exponentially forever. Things just realistically don't work that way. Um, early on, it might seem that way, but things have certainly got a have got a I guess have got a pattern of starting to flatten out and and and. and finding balance amongst things so um i mean craft beer is still growing uh commercial um mainstream beers is probably dropping off a bit still um but you've got other drinks in the market um you've got changing demographics but i guess we've got a growing population as well so from the growing population you might have more (laughs) more more craft beer drinkers coming into the fray um in, in that regard it's it's a tough one to answer you've You've got larger breweries that are that are looking at different models, um, you know, pop up or extra additional smaller tap rooms that are linked off their their, their main venue. Uh, you've got some of the bigger players being uh, being bought bought out, acquired, and so forth. So all of a sudden, people that already own pubs or venues, all of a sudden, bang, you've got guaranteed tap contracts for your wholesale. Um, so there's 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 so many different. Factors in play depending on the size of your venue, um, and sorry, yeah. on the size of your brand. Yeah. But you'd imagine there's not too many more breweries going to be bought out in the near future. But look, anything's possible. <laughs> so there's some.
0: Well, that's it, there's yeah. some great independent Isn't breweries that,
1: cool? that are that are probably right for the picking for someone with 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 deep pockets that, that can exactly, see the yeah
0: with the money. <laughs> it, it's business, yeah. So
1: it's not. Um, I guess the yeah the the people in those kind of positions have. Uh, uh, yeah they, they certainly see past all the all, all the great photos on Instagram and Facebook it's around um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's not all about all about the glory on socials it's about a, a business proposition that stacks up and um, yeah. and profit for their shareholders or or themselves so yeah mm-hmm.
0: and I wonder if that means then that we've got all these pressures on us at the minute. are we going to see more consolidation in the market not just in terms of acquisitions but potentially even, people closing i mean you obviously haven't closed uh and you're clearly a popular brand and to brew really good beer um but like what does the future hold for like a brewery like left barrel um i I don't even know i don't Mm. that's more of a rhetorical question i guess um but yeah it's something to ponder i suppose
1: yeah look uh it's it's something I'll, i'll sort of talk about with my wife uh uh, often about you know what's what's the direction for us it's it's um, yeah it's just for us at the moment it's about having fun and pushing out some different beers that but the, the market hasn't seen um, but then there's a balance of okay how big a batch can I brew and and um, realistically and then move that product given we haven't got that home base to be able to push out more volume there um, you're just relying on sort of keg and uh, keg and keg and can sales. Um, on the wholesale side of things, and, and we've got some great supporting venues, um, but those are also great venues because they support a large range of, of small and independent breweries, um, which is which is great for that diversity across the market. So, I think any any small business, it's I mean the the, the numbers would be maybe the same, maybe even tougher on on breweries. I'm not sure on um, you know a lot of small businesses. Uh, what fail or get folded within five years because you're it's it just swallows you whole in terms of <laughs> you you're saying you felt felt tired just listening to all the things I rattled off. So I was doing all <laughs> those things. At that time when I had the tap room I was working four day weeks still. Um not not five. Mm. So I was still yeah. doing four day week engineering then I was brewing and then and then managing the tap room with stuff to help actually pour the beers after a while. But um but it's always there. You are always thinking, it's always on the back of your mind. So it um mm-hmm. when you're in it, you do it but the body can only take so much as well. So uh, <laughs> exactly.
0: So when you step I'm out saying, of that, it must it's... Been, yeah, it, it must be it, nice to have the two things like engineering and then the brewing. They kind of balance out perhaps, maybe not in terms of time, but definitely in terms of money. <laughs> um, I, I imagine that would have been a pressure if you'd given up your job and then it had to work. Otherwise, the mortgage wouldn't get paid and the right. kids wouldn't get fed. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, at the time, at the time when we signed the lease we yeah we didn't know if we were going to have uh ha- have kids and um well yeah blessed to blessed to have our little one um uh, and uh yeah if it, it's either a, a feast or a famine so all things happened at once at the, in that regard so we are back to just my income um because my wife's a stay-at-home stay-at-home mum so uh yeah there was that's right if, if yeah and then if you if you stop engineering and jump in full time in the brewery um there's additional benefits there, but but massive pressures as well in terms of uh, need to be able to keep the roof over your head as
0: well. So yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think it's really interesting as well that you've gone from having your own site with your own tanks to having your own tanks somewhere else. As an engineer and a brewer, uh, how have you found that? Um, <laughs> I, my yep. dad's an engineer. Uh, he wouldn't let anything out of his site if he possibly could. <laughs> um he's a total control freak uh which probably explains a lot about me uh but <laughs> what about you uh has that been a bit of a stress or has that been okay or is it just the fact that it feels a little bit out of your hands or and how does that whole relationship work
1: yeah look I guess uh there's more of um leaning on my project management skills you've you've, you've got more more management and 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 prepping once you've got your your, your brew schedule locked in, because uh, we need to work in with the uh, with with the team at uh, Barossa Valley Brewing. So um, we don't brew a, a hell of a lot out of those big tanks at the moment. I guess we're sort of sitting on those as, as plant that we can maybe use again in the future. But we we, we do we do brew those in those occasionally. Um, at the moment, we're probably just a bit quieter in terms of the business in a bit more of a holding pattern, pushing out beers occasionally and uh, and just keeping the name out there. So I guess back to your original question though, it's, it's I guess it's around with the planning. It's probably less stress. Um, you know, it, It's my recipe. I can go help on those brew days as required. But then in other ways, it's nice because it's hands off. It's like, okay, yep, I need, you yeah, know, you got got 1,000 litres of product, yeah, I need 10 kegs and fill the rest up with cans. Um, and they sort it. They send me a bill. <laughs> so in that regard it's nice it's Seems it's um, quite nice.
0: yeah I can go do my right. engineering
1: during the day and someone else is making the beer for me so there's that side of things um but it's still a creative outlet and then obviously with our little 300 liter system at the shed home here at home you know i've got various sour barrels that are that are that are bubbling away with different crazy things um and i've got a couple of smaller tanks as well where i can where i can brew a variety of beers as well so and that's a good little size too to to, to, to play around with because you can get half a dozen kegs out of that or we might do a real small canning run by hand for some of that and um, makes it even more exclusive. Absolutely.
0: Oh yeah. Hey, I like that. See, marketing. (laughs) That's right. you would be good. (laughs) Um, So tell me about the distribution side of things as well. So um, we've obviously talked about how difficult it can be in the margins and things like (laughs) that. I know that the IBA have got a big thing on about tap contracts. Um, As a small brewer, you are have obviously done really well with getting your name out there. Has that helped um, in terms of getting left barrel beers into bottle shops and pubs and other venues? Um, what's your strategy, effectively?
1: Well, it's a very loose strategy, Claire. Uh, look, yeah, ke- <laughs> kegs have been surprisingly good. They've bounced back surprisingly well in recent times. So we sort of moved all of our kegs of um, of all of our our. our our current recent beers. I still got a few crazy things sort of lagering away and, and, and aging away nicely in the in the little cool room at home here. Um, but I guess, yeah, your, your, your independent bottle shops, other bottle shops, it's around you know, just pounding the pavement and get, getting out there. Uh, we had, I had a rep uh, who was uh, working on commission, but he uh, took a full-time job elsewhere, which is understandable because it's sort of a, a, a tough life at the moment being a rep, I'd imagine. So, um, so i I'm sort of keeping me to the ground on, People who are potentially interested on that. So anyone who's uh, based in <laughs> Adelaide, SA, that that listens in on this podcast, hit me up and uh, we can always talk. Um, Excellent. But outside of that, it's it's just reaching out through my my contacts and because um, we we build a, a, a pretty good list of, uh, of venues and um, yeah, it, it's just around saying hey, hey guys, here's our here's our latest beers, here's our here's our, our pricing strategy can we can we work together and get our beers out there um yeah a lot of venues find our our product moves well so uh which which is great um so then there's opportunity to to send multiple um cartons and yeah just just keep things moving
0: absolutely and what do they sort of what's the response like when you go to um a venue or anything like that is it that they like the fact that you're multi-award winning or do they like the fact that you're local like what's the selling point for a venue these days I think it
1: somewhat probably comes across as probably word of mouth on the brand. I think it helps when you're the owner of that brewery rather than maybe being a rep in some if for some for some venues. They they like speaking to the person who's made the beer or you know, is oh, is owning yeah. that I find for, for some venues. Most venues are pretty good at taking on a taking on a product line if it moves, if they've got if they've got space in their in their fridge. Um, certainly nice a lot more, more craft venues have all of their craft beer and fridges rather than just sort of room temperature on the shelf which is which is great for our product um, as, a, as a food product so yeah you know it, uh, it ages like anything else that's perishable Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, as a smaller brewer, I think that's a really interesting point that you raise because I know quality um, quality assurance and bringing those practices in has been a real big focus of lots of people in the industry, um, the IBA included. And, uh, you know, how have you found dealing with that kind of things as a brewer, as a smaller brewer, as somebody who contracts um, brews or brews elsewhere? Um, how do you keep an eye on all of that?
1: Yeah, I guess for our, for our ones that we, 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 we contract out. Yeah, Brossel Valley have got their own uh, solid quality quality control systems in place that I'm, that I'm very much happy with the the I think the the, the, the awards are the awards that we've got for those uh, recently are proof proof in the pudding in terms of that product Absolutely. yeah small batch wise uh, again even though I'm just running out the shed at home here it's you know we're still we're still running all of our um, appropriate cleanliness sanitation um, quality checks on the product before it goes out um, so yeah. We we don't want sort of uh, we don't want to see any inferior product get in the hand of the customer and, and give that venue and us a a, a, a sour name, bad name. So
0: <laughs> I like that. Sour <laughs> name. You didn't mean that one, did you? Did you Brad? Um sneak on... I can. <laughs> and on that front, I guess it's really interesting that um left barrel started, I believe, as kind of like a special specialized barrel aging type, um, like how would you characterize your yeah, how, yeah yeah you yeah well exactly how would you characterize it and how has that been for you sort of did it pigeonhole you a little bit saying oh I'm only, i only want to do these beers or were you just like i would never have made any other so it doesn't matter to me
1: i guess uh back when we started thinking about and putting forward the i guess the ideas behind left barrel uh prior to sort of opening and yeah, becoming becoming that brewery was I didn't see the point in opening of starting a brewery and just having a parallel IPA stout and lager sort of thing um ironically that 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 medal is a is, is a dark lager that we that we recently won but um there's so many other good breweries out there with such great product that you know I always like variety keeps things interesting so Certainly from a homebrew perspective and so forth, certainly got stuck into sours and things like that early, um, looked to push the boundaries in that regard. So, um, yeah, barrel-ageing sours, um, brett beers, funky beers, things like that. So things that you don't see out there as often. Um, that's sort of, I guess, where more of my interest lies. Um, but now we're sitting in that wholesale space. Plus we've got we've certainly got the opportunity to, to go direct to customers with our online store, things like that. So we, we do mixed cartons and things like that, um, you know, brewer's choice where I can sneak in a few special can things sort of uh, uh, in, in amongst our, our, our probably our more regular beers, um, but yeah, so so I guess the model I've got now is we've got that we've got our larger tanks, another brewery where we'll generally do cleaner beers, so you know lagers, pails, hazies, what have you, and then here in the shed at home I can I can sort of be the mad scientist professor and 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 produce sours, barrel aged, uh, and anything else in between, yeah, so.
0: Oh, well, and I think that's a really interesting point that, you know, when you're a smaller brewer or you have a smaller kit, you can be a bit more nimble and you can do, you can sort of push the boat out and do some odd or different or challenging or something that a brewer that relied on a steady income from uh, their lager in their venue um, wouldn't necessarily manage to do on a regular basis potentially adds to the diversity of the industry being able to do that as well, which is uh, only a good thing, in my opinion. So there we go. Now, on that sort of distribution front, though, how have you found sort of selling those small uh, specialized beers into a venue? Is it a tricky one? And are they like, oh, well, we've, we're contracted to like 70% Lion or whatever, but you can have that extra one tap. What? what how does that work?
1: I think with the, the real small scale, semi-experimentals I mean it's not I won't release something that I'm not happy with or that's that's drinkable to have a pint of um but in saying that we did a um we did a Scottish black ale I brewed it with a a great homebrew mate of mine um Gary so it was essentially his best base recipe and we added um uh, we added some native wattle seed to that as well so uh so we've basically got a wattle seed Black Ale, and yeah, the kegs of that have have all moved, and we're we're close to pushing out some cans on that one as well as a real limited release. So, um, and we poured that at Beer and Barbecue, so a few few, few venues that dropped through over that weekend uh, got a taste of that, and um, but a lot of those are sort of I guess probably more of my regular um, wholesale customers. So, mm.
0: um,
1: yeah, uh, but certainly reach out if, if people like the sound of it, they go, oh, yep, I like the sound of that, and I'll, I'll sneak it in somehow. So. It's a tough balance and a tough one to answer because I guess it varies from venue to venue what your relationships like with with um, with their staff, um, but generally um, when we're on tap somewhere those kegs drain pretty quick, which is a hopefully a good sign of something that that is starting to push the boundaries still on those small batches but still drinkable by the pint.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, I mean, I don't imagine that big box pubs are quite the audience for Left Barrel anyway, um, so you might not even have the tap contract issue.
1: Yeah, uh, look, don't come across the tap contract issue. We, we only keg, I guess, for those bigger batches, we'd only keg maybe 20% of that beer The most of it goes into packaged because um, it's just a bit easier to move. But, um, but like anything, you never get that split exactly right at our scale. Right now, I wish I had more... Yeah, you know, I've got plenty of Dunkel and cans, and I wish I had more of it in the keg because <laughs> I've got venues asking for it. So. Problems to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good it. problem to have.
0: Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I wanted to have a chat about, and I I keep bringing this up whenever I do as a, a beer as a conversation because I'm just so fascinated by like the individual experiences of breweries in each state. Like we saw over COVID that um, every state looked um, dealt with that differently. That's the same across pretty much all issues that could affect a brewery, um, save stuff like excise, which is obviously decided at a federal level. So we've got stuff like planning and skills and all that kind of stuff. And I actually think that South Australia gets sidelined a little bit when you talk about great beer. How would you characterize the South Australian brewing industry? What's it like? What's it like to be a brewer there?
1: hopefully it's a similar feel in the other states but we're uh, generally we're uh, just a, a really friendly bunch of of people all all like-minded looking to make great beer obviously there's the there's a the competitive nature there because outside of promoting your own home venue when you've got a when you've got a tap room etc you you you're all competing for for, for those taps uh, in in other venues etc but in terms of yeah, the personalities it, it, it attracts some really good people, I think, um, to the industry. Um, generally easygoing, even though they're they're highly stressed in the background, um, <laughs> running running such <laughs> such ventures. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, in in terms of the people and and, and our culture, I think it's really strong. It's um, yeah, there's there's the ability to, to lean on each other for, for for inputs, borrow an ingredient here if you're short of something. Um, what do you guys think about this? So we've got a you know, we've got a few different different um, platforms we use there in terms of a few little chats and uh, a little bit on social media there where we can we've got our own little sort of micro breweries people on, on Facebook and things like that where we can bounce ideas off each other and yeah, offer support etc. That's
0: cool and I mean that's what you want and that's yeah, I think you're right, I think that is um, a characteristic of brewing industries across, across Australia um, I do think it's interesting the impact that the state can have on the breweries and For instance, um, we did our state's of brewing report and I spoke to Karina at Prancing Pony and she was saying things like um, the licensing regime's really archaic and um, it also means that you can't equity crowdfund if you're a South South Australian brewery. Have you found any sort of really state... Specific issues that you've had, or is it all been pretty plain sailing for a brewery like Left Barrel?
1: The States of brewing touched on some good things for SA. I guess because we're running small scale and it's just it's just myself pushing pushing things along there, and we're just we're just putting along. We're a, we're a very small volume volume brewery, but um, certainly when. When it was when we were looking to open the tap room, the yeah the 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 red tape to get things open and and planning consent and so forth and um, rezoning of the particular building we wanted to to, to utilise, which was essentially the closest space to to because I didn't want to I do not want to be travelling far, so <laughs> um, there was some there were some issues and and timeframes there that were quite extensive. Yeah, so there's there, there there's always fun there, but I think when when you have it, have three different levels of government all Having three different levels of control across your sort of yeah yeah you've got local you got you got local state and federal so yeah you've got excise sitting at the federal level you've got um, liquor licensing state and then you've got all your per- permissions and approvals for your actual venue location um, at local government it's uh it's the oh, it's the typical bureaucracy and, and so forth I guess we can gather to expect living in a in our great nation but uh, <laughs> <Yes>. there's <laughs> yeah um. Yeah, unnecessary levels of control in there, potentially. Um, For myself and for Left Barrel, it hasn't been too bad, but I can certainly see how it could certainly irk larger ventures that want to keep growing and so forth. So, um,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm all for,
1: for, I guess, reform and improvements there, if possible. Um, But as we both know, I don't think we'd be holding our breath on that. (laughs) <laughs> anytime no, uh, soon
0: <laughs> we, we can uh yeah we can pie in the sky we can mm. tell them what we want but don't expect anything to happen <laughs> and then obviously um one thing that you do hear um, a little bit now and then from brewers and just from people in general is that South Australia obviously very well known for wine rather than beer do you think that's still got a bit of a, a, a stranglehold on how people perceive South Australia, and do they really get a better deal perhaps than than the brewers? Is that fair?
1: Oh look, I think I'd rather be a brewer than a than a than a winemaker because we can get grain pretty much any time we want and make as many batches as we want. Winemaker, you get you get one lot of grapes once a year. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. From the from the smaller, I guess from the uh, excise or wet for the for for the winery side of things, I think things have come back to closer to parity there. But but overall, I think from the brewer's perspective, we're just we're just ploughing along, doing our thing. Not you, you might keep an eye on what's happening elsewhere, but it doesn't let you. It shouldn't take take away your focus for what you're doing with your own business. So that's one point there. Um, when we had our venue open in the hills, um, we linked in and, and lent on that and, and, and built some strengths around it. So first year when we opened, because um, you're micromanaging a venue at this point in time, it's like, oh, why aren't there as many people here as there was last week? And then we got to Winter Reds Weekend, which is our biggest winter wine. Uh, it's a it's a, winter, uh, it's a weekend winter wine festival uh, the Adelaide Hills region producers, and being in Hannah, we're right in the middle of the Adelaide Hills, so first year it's like, right, where are all these punters gone? They've all, they've all taken off and they're all drinking red wine instead of, um, instead of beer, at, beer at my venue, so okay, how can we, how can we work around this? Um, and it was around, I guess, even pivoting at that point and, and leaning, on, leaning on some contacts, and we actually ended up getting um, uh, Charlotte Dalton, who didn't have a winery taproom at that stage, Cellador, uh, but she was making Adelaide Hills wines. So we actually got her in next Winter Red's time around and it was one of our best weeks of the year, week- weekends of the year. So we had her wines, um, we still had our beers, we got bands in and all of a sudden we're leaning on and we're getting our name out there on all the um, on all the booklets and, and bus tours and so forth that we're hitting up all the Winter Red venues because all of a sudden you've got, you know, you've got two sources of, well, two different, I guess, streams of, um, alcoholic goodness there in terms of, you know, you've, you might have a couple that one likes wine and one likes what, likes beer and bang, we could, we could hit both of those, nail both of those. So, exactly. um, so wherever there's um, challenges or crises, there's always opportunities as well.
0: And who'd have thought it, working together improves the situation?
1: Yeah. Well, in Charlotte's case, she, she made a heap of sales uh, with retail sales, got her name out to more people. And I'd like to think, hopefully, that helped a little bit. We did that for a couple of years, and then they actually started. Um, uh, they've actually started, even though she uses all Adelaide, she uses all Adelaide Hills grapes for her wines. She's actually based down at uh, Put Put Elliott Way, her little uh, cellar door there. So, um, yeah, so good news story for her. So yeah.
0: And I think one of the big things um, that potentially makes South Australia a little different from other states, not that uh, obviously that other states don't have lots of tourists, but um, tourism, I imagine, is quite a big consideration uh, to any hospitality venue setting up in and around the Adelaide Hills, in and around Adelaide. Um, how is that something you considered when you had your tap room? And is that something that you know venues tell you that people are bothered about? They say, "Oh well, we've come from uh, Melbourne, or we've come from Brisbane, or we've come from abroad, and we want a, a proper South Australia experience." Are those things that you guys have to consider when you're looking at um, selling beer, effectively?
1: Yeah, w- probably more so when we when we had our tap room. But look, we we mm. yeah we invested in 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 Adelaide Hills tourism brochures, um, which 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 linked a lot of that in. So people that are doing tours through the hills hopefully they sneak into our venue because you certainly see people that are some people might just go to one venue for the whole afternoon but a lot of people will bounce around and do two or three or four um, there's also you know the small bus tour, tour groups where people will will organize um, organize a number of venues so we certainly made ourselves available to those groups and 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 pushed out from a marketing perspective where we could to to yeah, to boost our profile in that space. Um, I guess some of it's also just time in the market and time being there and being open. So yeah, you'd have people that rock up two or three years into our, or we only had tap room there for three years. So, but you know, towards the end of that period, people are only coming in for the first time. Towards the end of that, so you know, you're still getting new people in, but you're, then you're starting to build your regulars and your and, and your locals that
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, get behind your brand, love what you're doing, and, and continue to come back and support. So.
0: And, of course, they will wherever Left Barrel is being poured, um, I imagine. Um, so we've touched on like a bajillion points um, for the past hour or so. Yeah. Uh, what, any, anything else that you want to mention? Have I forgotten something?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, think I, okay. think I've, uh, I think I've spruked the online store leftbarrel.com so uh, jump on there. Um,
0: Fantastic of course yeah get on there everyone. Um, That's the main one
1: sell a few more beeries and let me keep brewing the next one. Um, Yeah brilliant. Always happy to chat and um, yeah I'm I'm pretty easy going and open on these sort of things so um, we are probably fortunate when we started in the market um, it it, I could certainly see it's be a lot, lot tougher now than it was five six seven years ago to start a brewery just in terms of the number of the breweries out there but but then on the flip side that's a then you can maybe lean on that to say, look, it's a there are some working models out there that you can you can base it on if you're looking to do that, and more people are familiar with craft beer. I mean even even the benefits of having having some of these big players getting bought out, yeah, they're not necessarily craft anymore, but uh there's still some very well made beers that have got more flavour than than some of your generic generic labels. Um and hopefully that's enough to get people to go. oh, I like this. Maybe I will actually go check out that local microbrewery. If I like this, if I like this pseudo craft beer, um, <laughs> maybe I like the other one. So there's, I guess there's benefits in that regard too.
0: Absolutely. And what about Left Barrel? What's next for Left Barrel? What, what are you doing with it? Just making the next brew, trudging along nicely.
1: Yeah. Look, it's just 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 putting along. We got, a, I think we have got a couple of uh, smaller events coming up hopefully later this year. Uh, potentially robe. Broad Beer Festival and maybe brossa Beer Festival uh, mm-hmm. there all later in the year, but um, yeah, up in the hills it's it, it, it's it's pretty cold, so we've been largely hibernating out, outside of the beer and barbecue. So um,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, there's i oh look there's plenty of brews on the on the cards in terms of upcoming plans, um, but being a small business, there's there's that cash flow fun side of things. So of course, got to sell a certain amount before you can commit to brewing the next one. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes it, oh. makes it fun. But then, yeah, in terms okay. of punching out those small batches at home, we can do that anytime. So,
0: Absolutely. Oh, lovely. Well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on the Beer as a Conversation podcast. Um, really appreciate catching up. And congrats again, most outstanding beer and show. Uh, that's a, I hope you've got that on your mantelpiece at the very least.
1: Yeah, it's a shame we haven't got the tap room with a the, with the trophy shelf, but it's sitting safe in the house at the moment. I've got to keep it up out of... Um, <laughs> reaching hands of a four and a half year old because there's a lot of glass in it um yes, please
0: do yeah that could so go wrong
1: it was an absolute <laughs> honor to win that against you know up against what 350 entries around australia so it was pretty cool um but no Absolutely. look claire really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and thanks to bruise news for uh yeah giving me this opportunity so oh
0: no worries
1: get out there and find some left barrel if you, if you can't uh, if you can't locate it hit <laughs> up <barrel>.
0: your
1: hit <laughs> up your local uh bottle shop and say hey can you get some of that in and Yeah, hit me up.
0: (laughs) All right. Cheers, Brad. Speak soon.
1: Thanks so much.